I'm Linda Huang, digital strategist at Calder Bateman. And I'm Tyler Butler, digital coordinator at McEwen University. And you're listening to episode three of Don't Call Me a Guru podcast. Linda, I wanted to tell you I've decided what McEwen's brand voice is. I've decided what the tone of that voice is. Tell me. Tell me what it is. The tone is well-meaning dad. McEwen, like, he's not cool. He's trying to be cool, but you can tell that he's not cool. And he wants, he just wants the best for you. There's dad jokes as well, There's dad jokes, and you kind of roll your eyes. Uh, I think it makes sense. I think, you know, he's, he's just looking out for you. He wants the best for you. He's helping out, you know? So in your strategy, under tone, you would put well-meaning dad. Yeah. Cool. I think that's a, that's a good one. I like that. I think that's clear. So part of me being a well-meaning dad on Twitter means that uh, I am needing to decide, is it better for me to try to always be trendy? Should I be doing the mannequin challenge? Should I be trying to do the latest thing, like 360 video or something like that? Or should I just stick to what I know, do a good job at it? What, what, do you, what are your opinions on like keeping up with the latest memes and trends? I think it's always good to experiment. Um, but to have a little bit of a plan before you go into that uh, experimenting or before actually uh, experimenting with a different feature um, on, let's say, a page or an account that you manage, just test it out on your own um, personal accounts and then see how you feel uh, about it and also just follow what other people are doing. So if you're going to do the mannequin challenge, you should have watched at least 20 mannequin challenge videos to determine... How to do it best. This is the problem. By the time you've watched 20 mannequin challenge videos, <laughs> the mannequin challenge is over. Right? Right. No one's doing the mannequin challenge uh, in December. <laughs> I think it's important to jump on trends as part of like, let's say a, a content calendar. You're trying to figure out what to post day to day and you see a, a trend taking off. Um, that makes a lot of sense to try and capitalize on that. But yeah, for, for more of those trickier things, like live streaming is so new and different. I maybe wouldn't just jump into it, uh, but consider how you could play around with it. So Tyler, you had asked me this question earlier this week when you were uh, <laughs> you were doing some fun Snapchat contests uh, with students, but we're wondering how do you keep the conversation going uh, with contest losers? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we ran this contest where we were giving away a free lunch every day, and I was trying to brainstorm with Linda. You know, you have a great conversation with the person who wins the lunch. But what do you say to all these, you know, you get 50 or 100 entries. What do you say to all these other people? Linda, you had some great ideas. Do you want to tell the kind folks on the other end? Yeah. So I suggested, you know, if the idea of the free lunch was to promote um, different dining features, maybe take that opportunity to uh, reply back to the losers and tell them about all these other different uh, restaurants that they could be dining at or when there's a deal or when there's a special. Um, the thing that will probably interest the losers uh, even more is if you can offer kind of the consolid, uh, what's it called? If you can offer the consolation discount. Uh, so I suggested to you that maybe the losers get a 10% discount off of, um, you know, their meal. They don't necessarily get the free meal, but they get something, uh, which I, I think leaves them feeling pretty good about the interaction they had with you. <laughs> yeah, I really like that idea. Like uh, maybe something like if you screen cap this snap and show it to mm-hmm. uh, the cashier, you're going to get 10% off today. Yeah, exactly. Uh, done similar things in the past and it worked pretty well so I, I really like that idea a lot and or you could use some of snapchat's new features yes 
you tried any of these? I've tried. I've tried a few of these. Uh, on Snapchat now, you can create your own stickers. So I could I could take a snap of you, Tyler, and then I could draw around your face, and then now there's a Tyler sticker that I can paste all over my snaps. Oh god! <laughs> so it's a pretty cool. It's it's fun. I think it goes back to Snapchat just constantly introducing features that are fun and silly and make you laugh, and this is definitely one of them. And group chat, people are uh, seem to really like the idea of group chat on on Snapchat. Have you have you have you talked to more than one person on Snapchat at the same time? Uh, I've tried it. Um, we talked about Bitmojis last time, uh, Tyler, on the show. Sure <laughs> and, did. And I actually I'm hoping that with group chats, it will then evolve into group Bitmojis. Whoa. Yeah. So you can Some have next level mul- stuff. Yeah, multiple characters all in one chat. <laughs> What else is new? Uh, did you, have you seen this whole save Instagram privately feature that just popped up? Yeah, I have a problem with social networks and um, businesses that that devote themselves to social media, like Hootsuite, for example, who use words that don't necessarily mean what they are. Because when the headlines for this came out, Instagram now lets you save photos. I was thinking, cool, you can save someone's photo to your phone. That's awesome. That would save me a lot of time. And then it's just this bookmarking feature. So really, it should have been Instagram introduces bookmarking feature or something, right? (laughs) Hootsuite did this, uh, not like earlier this year, where they said, it's arrived. You can now schedule posts to Instagram. And so, right? So everyone's thinking, wow, this is great. And then you look at it and it's just, you can set yourself a reminder of when you're supposed to post something. (laughs) And it's totally misleading. (laughs) That one was brutal. What do you think of the save feature though? Uh, I wondered why it was there. There was two possibilities. I thought one is like, my strategy on McEwen's Instagram is to repost a lot of student content. So this could be a useful feature for me to find mm-hmm. possible reposts and save them in one place. Although, you know, I, I was just pasting them in an Excel doc. <laughs> I'm fine doing that, but you know, it keeps it in app. Right. And then the other one is sort of a purchasing capacity that I can see Instagram maybe moving towards, um, you know, finding More products shop, yeah. right finding products you're interested in and saving Save them it, kind buy of thing. it sort of like pinterest has you know buy this pin right um so we'll see more of that on instagram uh it makes me wonder instagram is changing so much really fast we saw live video come out you know instagram stories what what do you think they're doing <laughs> why what is instagram hoping to become that it is not already Mm -hmm. what do you think i mean i feel like it's a facebook strategy to just do whatever it can to cripple snapchat (laughs) interesting so i think i i i feel like every day they're well not every day but you know that they're constantly in the last few months introducing features that are very snapchat-esque um which i just had a conversation today uh with a client who who said well we hadn't started uh using snapchat but now we really don't want to invest in Snapchat because Instagram stories, Instagram live video. And it's like, yes, there are differences in audiences and differences in, in some of the features that you can use. But on the surface level for a lot of people, it's like, oh, well, why bother um, oh. with Snapchat? So, so maybe that's their approach. I think that Instagram is trying to become everything to you on your mobile device between Facebook and Instagram. Facebook as a company is trying to make sure that their apps are the first thing you do when you wake up, the last thing you do before you go to sleep, 
and everything in between right everything from messaging your friends like you would a text message to posting photos to buying um it's sort of like the overarching uh approach that you know like weibo has Mm -hmm. in china uh that literally all of your internet interactions are coming through one app but i wonder is it better to be that general when there's so much kind of noise and competition in the social media space here uh is it better to be that general app or is it better to stay in that niche which Mm -hmm. seems to be snapchat's approach as even as they're blatantly ripped off so around this time of year um i love it because there's uh, all these lists uh these were the the best social media trends of 2016 these were the best this and that um and on instagram there's something called best of nine have you heard of best of nine tyler yeah for sure <laughs> yeah so best of nine uh, you just put in your uh username on the website and um and it spits out your your top nine most liked uh photos of the year and it also tells you how many likes you received for the whole year and how many photos you sent out that year so I like best of nine because um you you forget some of the the photos that you took and then it's also uh in in one glance you can kind of see oh so that's the type of stuff that seemed to resonate with my audience this year (laughs) did you try it yeah I tried it at McEwen uh I don't tend to personally. I don't like collage posts on Instagram. Right. No, I don't. <laughs> so I don't either. Because a lot of people but are this posting. This is when them, I do right? the exception. <laughs> so you're using it as like an analytics kind yes. of check-in. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> I uh, am working on something at McEwen where we're looking at like the best Instagrams, uh, the best places to take photos mm-hmm. around campus, and uh, it was interesting. I did the best of nine thing as a similar sort of like yearly analytical check-in I was like oh no they're all like the same photo same clock tower (laughs) (laughs) so I actually had to kind of abandon what was the top posts and move around and try to say like these are the best places these are places people liked that's a good Uh, angle on it but also uh some of our top posts at McEwen are uh they're within kind of 50 likes of each other Mm -hmm. so it's one of those things where Right, like your top nine is actually more of a top 20 when mm-hmm. you actually look at the numbers on it sort of thing. Uh, so it's important to use something, some kind of analytics. I mean, most people don't post on Instagram that much. You can even do like manual analytics if mm-hmm. you have to. But. Well, and now there's Instagram um, business profiles that give you analytics. You can take a look. Yeah, but um, not backdated analytics. Right. So, so you better year. you better have toggled it. <laughs> earlier (laughs) yeah next year that'll be really useful but this year it's like i remember when i logged it i was or when i switched it over i was like oh i can't wait to see what my best all-time post was it's like oh it was the one today (laughs) (laughs) no you gotta pay for that eventually yeah probably So since we're nearing the end of 2016, uh, we thought it would be nice in this episode to sort of do a year in review. So we want to highlight some social media changes, uh, news, trends, uh, sort of that that happened uh, this year. So I thought um, we could we could get right into it. So the rise of Snapchat, but then also the shameless Snapchat copying from other social networks like Facebook and Twitter, Twitter. Yeah, Twitter, too. Twitter had stickers this year. Snapchat had the stickers first. <laughs> stickers and now live video. Yeah, Twitter has live video now as well. Did you hear about that? I did. You well, just... yeah, I mentioned this on Twitter, but for some reason my account has had that for months. Oh. Uh, 
and you were I'm one of the still, beta, the beta people. Right, but I've never used it. I right. looked at it, I was like, why would I do that? Right. <laughs> and I just haven't tried it. <laughs> That's like, um, I had the Instagram save drafts feature oh, for months. Oh, wow. And then no one else had it. But yeah, that was another new thing that happened uh, for Instagram in 2016. It's definitely been the year of Snapchat for me. It's a big place that I spend my time as a strategist and community manager now. Uh, interesting. I, we've talked about this on previous episodes, but I'm really interested to see where Snapchat goes in 2017, if the audience stagnates or if that niche audience continues uh, to kind of grow, mm-hmm. yep. be engaged. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see whether Instagram stories really is you know, does take down Snapchat or, or if anything does at this point. Um, I think 2016, I saw, I know I saw more uh, influencer marketing. And I think a lot of, uh, a lot of social media managers, a lot of uh, marketers um, are recognizing this as a huge potential for them for 2017, um, how to work with social media influencers and bloggers um, to tell your company or your organization's story in a, in a more authentic way. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's, uh, I'm actually doing a talk on influencer marketing at iMedia conference in March, um, but I think that's uh, that's also tricky because now influencer marketing has become so mainstream that in the U.S. you have uh, like the FTC coming out and saying, whoa, 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 what about disclosures? You guys are, you know, we're treating you guys as celebrity endorsements as well. So even though you only, I mean, you don't even have to have a lot of followers. If you're being paid or working with a company, like you have to put sponsored posts, uh, like very prominently right at the beginning of your of your caption, let's say. And that kind of, you know, I'd say that kind of kills the mood <laughs> when you start with sponsored. <laughs> well, it kind of defeats the purpose of influencer marketing, right? right. You're trying to organically place yourself into Mm -hmm. this audience's uh, eyeballs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Twitter, lots of changes this year. Uh, Removing photos from the character limit, adding polls, which we've both seen be very, very effective. More focus on video and also the death of Vine, RIP Vine. Rest in peace. Linda, is Twitter better or worse one year later? You know, I still think that Twitter is going good (laughs) um i like the new features uh i'll admit when the poll feature came out i was like really this is this is what they thought that we needed um but as we've discussed like it's actually uh proven to be a great engagement tool for audiences um i i also thought when they removed photos from the character limit I was a bit disappointed because I was like, you know, the the nice one of the nice things about Twitter was that challenge to be concise, um, and the fact that now you're removing the 21 characters that would have been a photo, uh, maybe is producing more sloppy uh, tweets that don't have to be that long. Um, but actually, I've I've found it to be quite useful, and I'm like, oh, I don't have to, you know, I don't have to shorten this word or <laughs> or reword this. Um, but yeah, I think I think they're announcing a lot of changes. Um, that hopefully are for the better, but I do worry uh, about what's what's in Twitter's 2017 future because there also this year was a lot of talk about the potential of uh, Twitter being sold. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's still such a hub for news and politics, and we'll get into that with Dave later, but... Uh, <laughs> another thing that uh, was big this year is augmented reality as in Snapchat filters, which everyone loves. Mm -hmm. Pokemon Go was a big fad this year. 
The fad is faded. Is it still, I, I don't know. <laughs> the fad is faded. Has the fad faded? But there's faded, still though? some hardcore players out there, like yourself <laughs> and, and your husband and my husband Mike, <laughs> <laughs> my partner. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think you know, although the fad has faded, uh, Ni- Niantic, who uh, created the game, is still making, I believe, it's millions a day um, off of people who are They're actively playing it. this game. Um, and I'm actually, uh, I'm excited to see where uh, augmented reality goes not just necessarily for pokemon but just to see how other organizations or games and apps um look at the pokemon case study and figure out uh, how to apply it um, in their situation so something we saw a lot of this year as well was just the the rise of or perhaps the the quicker spread of fake news on social media um and we'll talk to uh our guest dave about that um, in a bit, but I I wanted to talk about specifically Facebook just announced um, that they've introduced some features to battle fake news. Uh, but one of the features um, I think might actually hurt regular uh, companies or people using Facebook pages. Uh, so the feature is that uh, they're testing to see if articles are not shared on Facebook, um, then Facebook will view that as potentially the article is poor quality or that the article must be fake news. So they're going to lower it in your news feed and you won't see it, even though not necessarily that doesn't mean that it's fake news. Um, what do you what do you think about that, Tyler? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think it's wrong to label things as fake news that aren't. And mm-hmm. I, it sounds like they're bringing in third-party editors who will be able to make that distinction Mm -hmm. um but it's something to be aware of we as social media managers we always need to be aware of what what is what are these algorithms rewarding and punishing Mm -hmm. we need to use that one to get you know our branded content out there but two to be aware of how the timelines that we're getting our news from and our clients are get are interacting with uh and our audiences um how are they influenced by the things that they're seeing mm-hmm. or not seeing? I was actually thinking uh, the other day. Oh, it's been a, it's been a while since Facebook's changed anything with their algorithms, and then and then I heard about this, and I was like, there you go, <laughs> right yeah. before twenty seventeen. Trolls had time to figure it out. <laughs> so let's look ahead to twenty seventeen. Maybe uh, a couple predictions uh, of what of what social media is going to look like in the coming year. Something to help you shape your strategy. Uh, as things move forward. Linda, do you have any any idea what's going to happen in this crazy world of ours? Well, I think this is sort of an obvious one, but uh, I think live streaming will really take off. So this year we saw Facebook Live um, really uh, come onto its own. Instagram just announced live video. Twitter just announced live video in the app. So they had Periscope before as a live stream, but it was a standalone app, uh, which I never... I never really understood before, you know, taking two steps, even though um, it's the same company and you can view it on Twitter as well. But now you can just live stream straight through Twitter. Uh, So I think we're going to see more or like social media managers should consider um, how live streaming can be a part of uh, your strategy. And before you do that, you know, that that entails how do we promote the live stream? What type of content would actually be worth live streaming? Because not everything is. I think I actually saw you, uh, <laughs> didn't you post a, a while back, you were live streaming something and, and you just had your phone propped up against like a Coke can. 
<laughs> so even like technology around live streaming. Yeah. We've learned a lot very quickly about live streaming. So yeah. it's like you need more bodies probably. Like so that's a thing too that I've been considering. Oh, if we're going to be live streaming more uh this year, does that mean we need one person to handle the live stream phone and one person to handle the photos, the the other video, the boomerangs and all that other stuff. So more resources towards that potentially. Yeah, it's a bit of a technological hurdle to do a good job live streaming. I think I'm still kind of figuring that out. But uh, I, I like that approach, like a team approach, but you know, not everyone has more than one person doing right. social media. Exactly. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see how people problem solve. I am most curious to see now that live stream is in every social media, it's something that's going to be pushed forward. What does your average person live stream? Mm-hmm. What are they using this for? Are they, is it just like FaceTiming with their friends or is it, I'm just, I have no idea. I have no idea. I'm going to be a student of this. So another thing I think we might see more of in 2017 uh, are messaging apps or uh, chat bots and, um, you know, different, I guess, artificial intelligence, AI, and how that's going to be integrated into social media. We're already seeing a lot of e-commerce type of uh, organizations launching Facebook Messenger bots uh, who can quickly do transactions or sales or just answer your customer service questions um, through Facebook Messenger. Uh, But I don't think that we've, uh, we definitely have not scratched uh, the surface. And I think I just read uh, Facebook owns WhatsApp, but WhatsApp is the the most widely used messaging app in the world right now. And, um, and it hasn't introduced bots yet, but that's on the horizon. Uh, so I'm just curious to see where all of these automated bots take us um, and just artificial intelligence in general. Yeah, AI in advertising and targeting is becoming mm-hmm. more and more prominent. I'm curious to experiment with messenger bots myself. I think it's interesting, but also there's such potential, like we've seen such bad examples of bots on a public facing Twitter. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) I'm sure that that exists uh, and and there'll be some snags, uh, a hit in the year. Uh, Probably more mistakes, uh, more flubs than positives uh, in a first year, first full year of integrating messenger bots. Right. And it's even a a question of, again, resources. Like if you're doing bots now, you need to have a developer who can do the bot. So is that, um, you know, do you have that in-house? Do you farm it out to someone? Um, Something I thought was interesting was that Elon Musk had basically this year recently released this open AI. So anyone in theory could start building their own AI in their garage. And then I think the very next week it was like Google, Facebook, Twitter, all of these big social networks came together to do this like artificial intelligence consortium <laughs> because they're like, whoa, we can't just, you know, let everyone have free reign of, of this technology. So, so I mean, I'm, uh, do you watch Westworld? Oh yeah. <laughs> You've seen Westworld, right? <laughs> No spoilers. No spoilers, but also ultimate mannequin challenge, right? In Westworld. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, I'm just I'm I'm so curious to see what happens with robots and and not you know and just from bots to robots um, and where that takes us. Last uh, last prediction for 2017. Do you think? For me, there was a big rise of Snapchat in, in 2016. Do you think we're ripe for a new social media in 2017? Or will we see just increasing kind of uh, generalization of all the existing social medias? Oh, the social media will become the same with all of the same features. 
which I think that opens up the field for someone to be a niche app. A new player. Um, you know, the question is, what are the teens using right. <laughs> today? And actually, we, we, you know, to answer your question, we might, uh, we might find out um, because our episode four guest will be uh, some teenagers. So my, my little cousins, we're going to be interviewing them about uh, what the teens are using social media for, what the hot app is, what the, what the slang is, because if we're trying as social media managers to, to be with the times, <laughs> we might be surprised that some of, like you said, the mannequin challenge is done, but uh, is FML still something that people use? <laughs> All that and more in the January 2017 episode of Don't Call Me a Guru. Linda, our guest is standing by. Dave Cornway, a political blogger, is here. Let's get to him. Our guest this month is uh, political blogger Dave Cornwaye. Dave is an Edmonton-based political watcher and writer. He is the publisher of DaveBerta.ca, one of Alberta's best-read political blogs, and he works as a communications advisor with United Nurses of Alberta. He has a Bachelor of Arts from the U of A, where he studied political science and history. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. Dave, before we started recording, you were telling us your cool last name history. Can, can you tell the all of our listeners <laughs> about this? A, a, absolutely. So, so th- thank you. Uh, so my last name, Cornoyer, is a uh, name that originates, it's a French name, but it originates in Quebec. It actually originates in New France, which is pre-Quebec. Um, uh, my first ancestor came to the New World in 1663, and his name was Paul Hue, H-U-S, which is actually kind of a, fair, I think, a fairly common name in France. Uh, and he had 14 kids, as you did in the 1660s. And he gave each of his children, 14 children, a different surname. So I, presumably so they could start a new life in, an, in the new, in New France Crazy. with different, like, with different last names. Uh, so one of the children, I don't know which, where my ancestor was in the line of 14 kids, but it was, uh, I think his name was Pierre Cournoyer, who, which is actually my dad's name. And you're a distant relative to some famous hockey player with the same last name? Some famous <laughs> hockey player. Yeah, Yvonne Cournoyer, who's, he's like, I don't know, my ninth or eighth cousin That's or something. So cool. and he has 10 Stanley Cup rings. And, oh, so he is actually a big deal. 1972, Linda, <laughs> come on. 1972. Mm. All right, so sorry. So we are so excited that Dave is joining us today. Um, the The topic or the theme will be all about uh, social media and politics, social media in journalism. Um, there's been a lot of talk about fake news on social media, so so we'll be we'll be discussing that as well. Uh, I guess to start off, Dave, for those who aren't aware of your wildly successful blog, Dave Berta, um, can you just talk about how you got into blogging and what your blog is about and uh, just your your approach to blogging? Sure. Uh, yeah. So I I started the uh, the my blog DaveBerta.ca, which was actually originally DaveBerta.blogspot.com, back in January two thousand five, which is uh, at the time blogs were a new ish thing, mm-hmm. and uh, it was one of those weird times in in university where everyone had a blog like everyone could set up their own blog so therefore everyone kind of had like a lot like a lot of my friends a lot of my my colleagues had set up just set up blogs that they would randomly post stuff on 
And I think I was the only one who was just like persistent and survived and kept on doing it because I, I enjoyed, I really enjoy writing. Um, and I very interested in politics. And so I decided, you know what, um, I have opinions, I have thoughts on, on politics and, uh, I'm, I, here's this new platform I can use. Uh, so starting in 2005, I started writing about Alberta, mostly Alberta politics and, and municipal, provincial and municipal politics in Alberta. And, uh, yeah, and I've just, I keep on, I've kept on doing it. And it's, uh, of course, have, from having been around for 11, almost 12 years now, uh, I've amassed a readership and, and, uh, and ended up being one of the best read uh, political blogs in the province. So, and it's Alberta. So like, there's never a boring day in Alberta politics. Like these days, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty, uh, pretty uh, uh, entertaining to write about. So you've been blogging for 11 years now. What, what are some tips you have for other, other bloggers or writers out there that you've learned? Don't give the impression that you're going to write something every day if you don't think you can write something every day. And don't be afraid to like take a night off or take a day off or take a week off. Like I usually take when I go on vacation or go away for, for, for time in the summer, I'll usually take a couple weeks off writing. And that's perfectly fine and per- perfectly healthy. Um, yeah, so I guess that's just my, you know, write, write when you have something to say. Don't just write because you have to write if you're doing it as your hobby. And that, that was my thing is that, it, you know, I'm, I'm doing this. This is something that I do in my spare time. It's my hobby. I'm, I'm going to write about stuff that interests me and I find amusing and I find interesting. And um, if I, there's nothing interesting to write about that day, I'm not going to write something. Do you think it helped that your blog uh, initially, when you said you started, everyone had a blog in your class or, or and that sort of thing? Did they all start blogging just about random things in life and you just went straight for that niche political uh, category? Like, does that help with blogging when when you know uh, there's a theme uh, and there's this angle or this hook uh, that you're going to be the one to write about this or that? Well, I, I think it certainly helped in terms of my blog, in terms of being that on you know kind of online source for for uh, discussion and opinion on and information about Alberta politics because there really there's I mean there's a couple other political blogs David Kleimanhager writes his AlbertaPolitics.ca there's not really I mean and there's a few others I'm sorry I can't name them off the top of my head but there are a few other people who write about Alberta politics on, on their blogs but other than the other than you know myself and, and Kleimanhager and the um, you know the columnists for the mainstream newspapers there's really not a lot of in terms of a lot of self-publishing in terms of blogging going on on Alberta mm-hmm. politics. And I, I, I really felt that there's a, because I started, started writing my blog and publishing my blog so early compared to, to a lot of other people. Um, if I've really noticed this kind of transition over the past 11 or 12 years, um, with the introduction to social media, because remember when I started my, when I started writing dayberta.ca, Facebook really wasn't, really wasn't a thing. Like it was a thing kind of shortly after and, but you only, but you needed a university email email address initially to become uh, to be to become a user, and then it was kind of even then it wasn't really a place where you'd be able to share links like you do now or share you know share like promote promote a blog or promote a website in the same way that you would now. It was very much it felt very much more insular and very much more focused on you know personal profiles and friendship. Um, so I, I started the blog back when when blog aggregators were a big thing. So you'd have, and it was interesting in, in, in terms of political blogs in, in Alberta and in Canada, you had different blog aggregators. So like Alberta blogs, I think it was albertablogs.ca was one of the aggregators for all the Alberta blogs would be, would be, would, their posts would be aggregated on that site. And, and um, in terms of politics, there was uh, uh, different, 
blogging aggregating websites uh, uh, for blogs of different political views. So there was like the blogging Tories and the blogging <laughs> Dippers and Lib blogs. And so like if you were a liberal blogger, yours would be there. And if you were a New Democrat there, or you'd be at, at, at blogging Dippers. Um, so the, the the move towards social media really kind of, I think really kind of shifted. And what I've seen and one of the challenges I've had is um, Facebook and Twitter and, and politics can take up a lot of time. And for me, I need to make the, you know, I make the concerted effort that, you know, I, I, I need, you know, I, I like to be engaged in social media, but I also like to write. And every moment I stay engaged in social media, you know, in, in my own time is, is, is a time is, is a, a moment where I don't have the time to write and actually put my thoughts down in long form, which I, which I like to do on my blog and actually have the space that I host that I can, where I can articulate my opinions or my thoughts on, on, on politics and what's going on on that day. So for me, I think it's really important that, you know, I stay engaged in social media, but that my energy, my real creative energy and the place where I think I can make a, I can have an impact and make a difference in terms of politics is really on my blog. Um, but, you know, also being engaged in, in social media to use, you know, use social media to, to, to engage with my readers, but also to, you know, help promote my posts and, and share links um, but I really, I always try to go back to my blog and, and go back to the reason why I do, why, why I do this, which is why because I enjoy writing and that's, my blog gives me that platform. So are you using Facebook kind of as like the comment section of your blog or is it more of a traffic driver to your blog? Like what's the relationship between social media and then the property that you own and manage? That's, that's, that's a good question because the, I mean, it, it, I get a ton of traffic from Facebook. I have my, my DaveBerta.ca Facebook page and there's a ton of traffic. And I've noticed since in the years since Facebook pages became a bigger thing, um, a lot of comments will, a lot of people will comment on the Facebook page instead of going and commenting on the blog. And I know they're reading the blog because I can like, I follow the analytics and I follow their, that they're, you know, the traffic is going to the blog. So obviously they're reading, they're reading the blog, but then they're going back to Facebook and commenting there. Um, so I've definitely noticed a, a shift in terms of there, and there's, there's discussion there. I do, I do get lots of comments on my blog as well, but, but the kind of more heated and robust discussion usually tends to, uh, tends to happen on Facebook. I'm curious, uh, about your thoughts on how social media has changed, how, um, politicians are more accessible accessible <laughs> uh, to, you know, the everyday person, um, how, how, how you've seen it change, even from when you started your blog and now you're, you're very active on social. Um, have you seen uh, more politicians using it for good, for bad, um, or just uh, with perceptions, um, whether or not they're, because I, I notice you know, a lot of social media posts from politicians become the front page news mm -hmm. on mainstream media now. Um, so things like that. So more, I guess, more pitfalls, more dangers for politicians. Yeah, I mean, I think you're, um, you know, you're 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 only one tweet away from being thrown out of your, uh, you know, being fired from your job or thrown out of your party caucus, uh, or losing the next election. Um, so there's always pitfalls and dangers. Um, some politicians are better at social media, are much better at social media than other politicians. Um, uh, I mean, it really it really depends. I think all I think going into the last election, the last provincial election here in Alberta. And after the last provincial election, I think uh, almost all the candidates for the major political parties would have had a social media presence um, during the 2015 provincial election. And I think there might be like two or three MLAs who don't have Twitter profiles or don't really have an active Facebook 
presence. Um, and that was, I think, the last time I looked was a few months ago. And they may they may all now be the all eighty seven MLAs may now be on on social media. Um, but in terms of of engagement, I mean, I think it is it is a helpful tool in terms of being able to engage with uh, get your stories out to the media. I mean, we see this daily that you know, well, almost daily is is uh, you know there'll be a the, the front page story on the Edmonton Journal website or the Calgary Herald website that will take quotes from Twitter or take quotes directly from, you know, the story report on stories that were generated or, or happened completely on, on Twitter, which, which I think is, I mean, it's a comment on, on where the political, where some of the political discussion is happening um, in 2016. And it's also a comment on, on, I think, lazy journalism as well. It's really easy to take, to just grab a screenshot and take a quote from Twitter and put that on, 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 on the web, on your, your newspaper or news agency website. Um, it doesn't really require a ton of work. So I think that's, there's a mix of that. Um, I don't really, uh, going back a few years and I'm, geez, I'm trying to think what year this was, maybe the 2007 or 2008, uh, when Twitter first really became a tool for people to engage in politics in Alberta. Um, there was kind of a brief period I felt where it was actually about engagement and there was actually some real discussion. I think there was a, there was a bill um, there was a bill in, in front of the legislature that had to do with parents being able to uh, remove their children from school classes that hadn't, when, where there was any discussion about sexuality or any discussion, for example, about homosexuality or, or any kind of issues that more conservative Albertans might consider controversial. Um, and there was a big debate around that. Um, and there was, a, I think it was really, it felt to me that there was a, it was the first time that there was a real kind of big debate and and uh useful debate on on social media in you know in its in its kind of initial phases on twitter um and there was there was a yeah like i said kind of a brief few months where where it felt like there was this kind of weird golden age where there was actually some actual real engagement people engaging with their mlas people showing up at the legislature and tweeting people watching question period or watching the the house debates go on 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 uh, the webcat or web web live streaming over the night and tweeting about it uh, and then since then, it just seems like everything's kind of descended into, uh, you know, partisan as, as everything. I mean, it's politics. So, I mean, it, it's eventually, you know, if something's nice, uh, politics is probably going to break it. Um, you know, partisan politics is probably going to break it. And I think that's what we've seen with with uh, with social media is is there's a, there are a lot of trolls. There's a lot of kind of, you know, well, I don't agree with you. Well, F you. Well, F you too. <laughs> you know, the debate, it doesn't take long for the debate to kind of to kind of. Uh, devolve into right. into just kind of name partisan name calling and i think with the you know the he really heated partisan politics that we see in in alberta and canada and, and around the world really in, in, you see it really down in the united states as well with, with the election of donald trump and the battle between trump and hillary clinton um i think it's really created kind of a of a, a bit of a cesspool online in terms of of, the, of some of the partisan debate that's happened so in that way i don't think it's positive well, let's let's get into this uh, because one of the things we wanted to talk to you about is fake news. That's been a big uh, headline in the social media world. Uh, the idea that there's these emotionally driven, either entirely false articles or uh, articles that are taking something out of context that are bouncing around these bubbles on social media where no one's really challenging the ideas. There's no fact checking. But I guess I just wanted to open up this conversation. Like, what what are your thoughts on fake news, and and we can go from there. 
Well, uh, I mean, fake news is not new. It's not something that was invented on Facebook. I mean, I think that you know, the, it's in its current form, it's it's problematic. Um, but I, I have another story of uh, of Canadian history, Canadian <laughs> political history. In uh, <clears throat> another example of fake news, um, this could this could be like a Canada heritage moment, like one of those one of those thirty second commercials in eighteen eighteen in eight yeah exactly <laughs> in in eighteen seventy seven. Um, there was a federal election and uh, it was either a federal election or a by-election in a riding in Quebec. And Sir Wilfrid Laurier, uh, who I don't believe was a knight yet, but he was Wilfrid Laurier, was running uh, for election or re-election and in a rural, very conservative, Catholic, rural Quebec riding. And he was a liberal and Quebec was very staunchly liberal, uh, that area of Quebec. And his conservative opponents spread a rumor that him and his wife had not baptized their children which you can imagine in very, very devout Catholic, conservative rural Quebec was a deal breaker for a lot of voters, even voters who had traditionally voted for liberal, li- voted liberal and probably would have voted for Mr. Laurier. Mm-hmm. Um, so he lost the election by, I think, 28 votes. But the, the kicker was is that they didn't baptize their kids because they didn't have any children. Okay. So, you know, so I mean, <laughs> gossip and rumors, so it's, you know, fake news, t- totally fake news, right? I mean, you know, Pope endorses Donald Trump. Sir Wilfred Laurier hasn't baptized his kids. Well, you know. That's the Pope didn't endorse Donald Trump and Wilfred Laurier didn't have any children to baptize. Laurier did uh, wind up our uh, prime minister. He did. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It worked out in the end for him. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess what, what social media and, and Facebook has done today with things like fake news, while it's not a new concept, it's just um, the, the fake news travels so fast. Yeah. And I don't think anyone really reads what they're sharing online. Actually, I think that's a stat. Like most people who mm-hmm. share something on social media, an article, they haven't actually read it beyond the headline. Um, which, I, you know, is is that dangerous? Did it? Did it? Re- do you think it resulted in this Trump presidency? <laughs> well, I mean, I think uh, I, I don't think fake news. You know, the fake news spread on Facebook is the reason Donald Trump is president. I think. Donald Trump is president of the United States for a lot of, or is going to be president of the United States, <laughs> you know, God help us all, uh, for, for a number of reasons. Um, I mean, he, you know, he was able to, for number one, he was able to tap into, into this, this really deep discontent in the American, in the American population and, and, you know, people who wanted to change and they wanted to elect someone who could blow up the system and he's presumably going to blow up the system. And the other thing was that Hillary Clinton wasn't a great candidate and the Democrats ran a bad campaign. Um, you know, they may have won the popular vote. I think right now she's sitting at like 2.5 million votes ahead of him, but they lost the electoral college, which is how the U.S. presidential election system works. So um, I don't think fake news is the is the is the reason, but I think it, it, it I think I think it definitely hurt, probably hurt Hillary Clinton. There's no, no doubt about it, but I don't think it's probably the single reason. Mm-hmm. I, I think what's what I what I found troubling about the fake news um, the presence of these kind of fake news outlets, uh, websites in uh, in the U.S. presidential election, was how eagerly Donald Trump and his supporters—and I'm talking like not just like supporters in terms of voters, but like his campaign people and his surrogates—would were willing to to spread this kind of false and fake news, which I mean really shouldn't have come as a—I mean it doesn't really come as a big shock. I mean when you think about Donald Trump, he's the guy who who was you know the de facto leader of the birther movement for. Uh, for two or three years, or well, for two or three years, for for eight years, basically accusing Barack Obama of of mm-hmm. not being a, a, a you know a, a natural born United States American citizen, 
um, which you know, then whole camp that in that whole campaign was based on racism and xenophobia, um, and was totally fake. So I mean, is it really a surprise that they would have embraced fake news? Probably not. Um, but it's troubling that you can that a presidential candidate can embrace fake news and win an election. <laughs> That's what's troubling <laughs> for the United States and the future of the world. I do take your point that fake news isn't a new phenomenon. I think it's one that's often attributed solely to social media. Uh, so the question I wanted to ask you is, to what extent are we as like citizens and uh, media consumers responsible for our own media literacy? And on the other side of that, like what role should like Facebook play as a moderator? Because I think one of the big changes social media brings is it's brought the means of production for publishing into the hands of, of anyone, right? Uh, and it, that, that force is mm-hmm. supposed to d- democratize us. And I think that was the message around Obama's campaign is mm-hmm. look, at, look at the potential for social media to bring about um, great changes in democracy. Uh, so to what extent, as we see kind of the flip side of that, uh, are we, yeah, who is responsible for us seeing a balanced view of the media we consume? I mean, I think media literacy is an important thing. I think people... Um, social media has created echo chambers and I think a lot of people seek out the kind of confirmation bias they seek out news that they agree with so we'll seek out if you're you know a conservative well you might go or you know if you're a crazy conservative you might go read Ezra Levant's website Um, (laughs) or if you know if you're total lefty you might go and and read uh, uh, read rabble.ca or or, uh, websites that will have opinion and, and kind of news coverage that will will confirm the ideas that you already believe and and i mean you can see that i mean that's that's the you mean you talk about the democratization of of social media and i mean that absolutely but but people curate their own news now they curate they decide who they follow on on facebook who they follow on uh, on twitter so you know you're a liberal and you're your angry conservative uncle starts posting stuff that could be totally legitimate on facebook well you're angry with him, so you unfollow, you unfollow him. So you know you you get these kind of echo chambers that get created, which I which I, I don't think is is very healthy for for democracy because we we I think that creates a political environment where people with differing views don't really talk to each other, mm-hmm. they yell at each other, or they just don't listen. And I think that's bad for for democracy. I mean, I think it's important that and you know myself as, a, as someone who writes about politics on my blog. Um, I make a conscious effort to talk to my conservative friends and I make sure I have conservative friends. I have many conservative friends and they're great people and we don't agree on stuff, some political, we don't agree on a lot of political issues, but that's totally fine because I like them as human beings and I like them as people. And, and you know what, not everything is about, if everything is about politics, but I think we really, we really need to make a conscious effort to talk to people and talk to people in person too, right? Mm-hmm. So much of this debate happens online and it's really easy to get into uh, you know, kind of a pissing match with someone on, on Twitter or on Facebook and and uh, and getting arguments with internet trolls, but is it really? I mean, are you really getting any value from that? I mean, if you actually talk to, if you have more people with different polit- different political views talking to each other, I think the uh, the um, our political dialogue would be much better in this in this country and I think in, in the world probably. Um, we talk about fake news having some kind of role in in the election results uh, down in the U.S., but I also think, like what you mentioned with echo chambers, 
um, what I've read is just that uh, if we're using Hillary and, and Trump as an example, it's just it's like all of the the Hillary uh, supporters, um, as you said, you know, you, you unfriend people who say that they're supporting Donald Trump. And the only thing you're seeing is pro Hillary. Hillary's doing great. There's yeah. no way Trump's going to win. And then when it happens, you're like, how did this happen? Yeah. Everything was saying it wasn't going to happen this way. But it's really just because of how they've sort of pigeonholed themselves into this very particular news online. Yeah. And then, the, you know, they talk about the way that. Um, you know, this, the, the Facebook algorithm, as people talk about how that works, you know, so you you like a lot of liberal news, you like a lot of conservative news and what tends to end up showing up, what tends to, what tends to show up in your newsfeed, what tends to show up. Um, there was a, I can't remember who did it and I'm hoping this isn't fake news, but, uh, <laughs> but there was some, I think it was maybe a university or a news agency down in the States that, um, if if this is fake news, it's not malicious. Um, that uh, that had that was able to identify a group of Hillary Clinton supporters and a group of Donald Trump supporters, and they basically like switched their login info for um, made them log into each other's Facebook accounts for like a week, and they were just the people who did this were just absolutely shocked at the difference in terms of what they were seeing in their Facebook feed. So yeah, the Hillary Clinton supporters were just shocked at the at the support they were seeing for Donald Trump on on Facebook yeah. and vice versa because. They never, they would never expose themselves to this kind of that those kind of uh, those kind of opinions. So we've seen Facebook kind of react to this uh, recently uh, and implement some changes where they're going to start allowing you to flag fake news, and uh, if it gets enough momentum, if there's enough people flagging it, they'll lower it down, uh, like show it to less people in their feeds, and. Uh, Label it as being a fake Right, news. label it as disputed, I believe. Mm -hmm. So I think it just brings it back to that point. In my opinion, it, it's our responsibility as media consumers, as politically active people, to make sure that we are seeing a balanced view of the world. Um, because similarly, outside of social media, if you could just read a bunch of leaflets that confirmed exactly what you want them to hear. Um, I'm glad to see Facebook take some steps towards it, but I uh, I don't think it needs to. It's not all on Facebook. Right, it's not right? all on Facebook. Uh, it's it's an interesting phenomenon. Every time something goes wrong lately, uh, a bunch well, of people blame, blame it on social network. media. <laughs> <laughs> Stop blaming social media. <laughs> but I think by blaming social media, they're blaming people. Yeah, and I I think I think I mean I think that's useful in terms of having the the. Uh, uh, the option for Facebook users to kind of flag what they what they believe is fake news. Um, I mean, it, it is kind of. I mean, you have the potential for organized groups to, mm -hmm. you know, uh, flag real news that they don't agree with as fake news. But uh, but but the introduction of kind of like fact check a group of fact checkers. I think I think um, Pointer and um, uh, Snoops and ABC News were involved in uh, in the in the group that Facebook has set up uh, to do kind of fact checking. And from what I understand, they're going to fact if if uh, if a if any kind of post any given post gets a certain amount of flags or something that they would or it gets a certain amount of traffic or a certain amount of flags, they would they would take a look at it to see if it's actually fake. And I think that's that kind of third party um, uh, uh, neutral kind of editing fact-checking editing i think that's that that's also really important because what we have with social media i mean it's not like it's not like a newspaper where or at least you know newspapers of, of newspapers some, some newspapers now but newspapers of old where you'd have where there would be the, that would be the, the main source of people's information 
um, and there'd be professional journal journalists and professional editors who would be um, who would be editing the news and editing the content. Fact yeah, fact checking. And now there's, you know, as you said, anybody can anybody can share something online. There's, you know, these 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 teenagers in Macedonia who apparently made tens of thousands of dollars or millions of bucks on mm -hmm. fake news advertising from fake news websites, which is like crazy. Very entrepreneurial of them. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for ruining democracy. <laughs> so, Dave, I wanted to ask you, uh, just um, with all of your blogging experience, political blogging experience, and just interactions with politicians as well, what advice would you give uh, politicians or people working uh, in social media in government um, when it comes to, to using social media? Best practices, um, things that you shouldn't uh, get into, get involved in. Don't, don't feed the trolls, don't is the, the trolls. <laughs> which is, I think it's just the general, <laughs> the general golden rule of, uh, of, uh, of social, of, of social media. Mm -hmm. um, no, I mean, I think it's important that um, it's important that politicians and government have a, you know, have a presence and be engaged on, on social media, because even though there are a lot of people who are, you know, in, in, involved in politics who are partisan and who are trying to manipulate the debate, there are actually a lot of people who are listening and paying attention who are actually just legitimate Albertans or Canadians who are interested in in what's going on and in, in, in with their government and with, with politics. Um, so don't just don't necessarily believe that the loudest people are the most important because there are many loud people who only have ten followers or, you know, but they who like who like to argue. Um, and don't you know, there's there's not much value in terms of arguing with with uh, with a lot of those people. So don't look at social media as a place where you go to argue. Look at it as a place where you can go and, yeah, like I said, share information and, and try to provide value for the people who are actually there, to uh, actually there to be engaged and there to there to find information. So you talk about not feeding the trolls. Do you, um, in your role, because a lot of times now I think, or in in the past, you you break a lot of political news um, as well, right? So you've become this go-to source for uh, politics in Alberta. Um, do you see that same uh, sort of treatment that politicians get? Are people angry at you for sharing certain uh, pieces about uh, politics in Alberta? Oh and yeah. How, and how do you deal with it? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> No, I, I know, I know, I know that I've got I've gotten things right when people from all different political backgrounds or, or political ideologies, political views are, are mad at me. My general rule is if you don't have a real name or a real photo, <laughs> and if you, I don't really engage with you, and and you're trying to like, and you and you're saying you know angry things on Twitter, I don't really <laughs> engage with you because it's kind of it's a absolutely complete waste of my time. I'm not a politician. I'm not an elected official. I'm someone who's doing this on my spare time. And if you want to be abusive, well, then you can talk to a Twitter account that's not going to respond to you. And that's my that's my general rules. I don't uh, I don't tend to engage with people who uh, or Twitter users who are uh, who are abusive. I just as a general rule, it's a waste of my time. I want to switch gears for a sec and talk about um, I think one of the major issues with social media in general. But I'm curious what your thoughts are on the current state of social media in this province specifically for. Uh, women, Indigenous people, uh, LGBTQ people. Uh, you're, you wrote about Sandra Jansen's uh, brave statement. You called it, I completely agree. What do you think the current state uh, politically is on social media around those issues? Uh, is dumpster fire a, uh, an appropriate <laughs> answer? No. I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that there are... There is a ton of garbage and totally inappropriate uh, 
and unneeded uh, attacks and language used towards women and what do you, like you said Aboriginal uh, politicians um, and people you know visible minorities and 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 sexual minority people of sexual minorities who um, who are in elected office uh, and who choose to be engaged in politics. Um, there's no way that a 50 year old white man politician is getting the same uh, type of abuse directed at them online as uh, as a young woman running or running for elected office or who's been elected uh, to uh, to public office. I think it's it's something that uh, that we really need to uh, take on and 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 as a society uh, declare that is that it's it's just, it's just unacceptable. Yeah, it's troubling. Twitter especially, which I, I think is the social media where people really, it seems to be politicians' favorite social media in my mm-hmm. experience. Twitter gives equal weight to all voices. So your notifications fill up and um, you can tell yourself like this is just a, another troll, but you know, you're reading hundreds, thousands of these things and it chips away at you. Are you concerned that this kind of like abusive behavior on social media is going to prevent women or, or other minorities from wanting to engage in politics? I, I hope not, but I think it probably will. Um, unfortunately, I think that, you know, there are a lot of incredibly talented and uh, incredibly talented women in, in this city and in this province and country who will, you know, who would who will want to serve in public office, who will take one look at the kind of abuse that Rachel Notley or Sandra Jansen um, are having directed towards them, or are, are not are having, but are 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 are, are taking online, and uh, and they'll you know I can really blame them to say that you know I don't want to have to deal with this. I don't have to. I don't want my kids to have to see this kind of abuse. Um, I think it's really disturbing. Um, I mean, I'm sure that um, I mean these types of threats towards and and anger directed towards women politicians is not something that's really new. I mean, I'm sure that. Women who have been in politics many, many years ago also received these kind of threats, you know, on the phone or, you know, through the mail or email. Um, but since the 2015 provincial election in Alberta, where we had a huge number of women uh, be elected into government, I think the, the NDP caucus is, in terms of the NDP MLAs, I think almost just under half are women. Majority of the provincial cabinet, including the premier, uh, are women. Which I think is is fantastic, um, you know. Regardless of the political party, I think that's just great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there are uh, there's a group of people in this province in this country. Um, I would say it's probably a smaller group than you than you'd think looking at than looking at social media. And I think there's a but I think there's this group that is really doesn't like the idea of women being running the show in politics, and they really just they don't like that. And I think it's based in sexism. So backwards. Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. and and they found a a forum through uh, through social media to to vent and and to kind of push that kind of Neanderthal anger. So I'm not looking for a, a cure all answer, but do you, do you see a way out of this? Is there a way? Like, is it uh, other um, more supportive people being more politically engaged on social media, more vocal, yeah. more vocal about it? Um, just curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I think it's up to I mean, I think it's up up to people to speak up and 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 to you know, even I mean, you're not going to convince a, a, an anonymous internet troll that they're wrong because that's not they're, you know, you can't you can't have a reasonable discussion with an unreasonable person, um especially on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> um but uh but I think it's important that 
that there be people who speak that people do speak out and 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 voice their you know voice their support for women in being involved in politics and running for elected office and um and uh, uh really send a clear message that this type of that that, that type of behavior where, where people will attack women um uh, online is and send threats is just totally unacceptable um and you know mute mute or block the trolls I mean, I, I I don't think I block. I can't remember the last time I've actually blocked anybody on Twitter, but I just I mute people because you can talk into the void if you want. I'm not really interested in in here in, in, in engaging with people who just want to argue. Muting and the hide function on Facebook yeah. are, are a moderator's best friends. Like, yeah, it's it's so beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I'm you know I I love to engage with people who are actually interested in engaging, and I don't expect everybody to agree with me online people don't mm-hmm. a lot of times and that's totally fine but like have a you know have an opinion and and don't be afraid to uh to say who you are which i think is is also it's also important diva what what is the best way that your average person can use social media to get involved politically is it write your own blog is it just in share links on twitter is it interacting with your local politicians what do you think the best way to actively be involved is yeah i think um you know follow your follow what your local representative is uh where follow them on on online follow them on yeah on twitter or on facebook um follow different news sources um and then figure out who the you know who are people in your community or you know whether it's looking at your community level or uh, the provincial or federal level, national level, who, you know, who are the, who, who is writing, who's writing about politics, who's writing about, about the issues. Um, look into their background. What, what is their background? Are they, are they conservatives? Are they, are they liberals? Um, and engage, have, you know, try to, try to engage in, uh, in good discussion and, and uh, ask questions. I think asking questions is always, a, you know, don't just accept when a politician tells you something they're, you know, if it comes out in a, a press release from a political party, it's, spin they're trying to spin you you know they're trying to spin so take a look you know well what did the wild rose say today well what did the ndp say today well what did the pcs say today you know where where the truth is likely probably somewhere in the middle because you're the the parties are all they all, they all have their own political agenda um so kind of taking everything with a bit of a grain with a bit of a grain of salt um and i think that's important for news as well um especially now as as um you know, the largest newspaper chain in the country, Post Media, continues to lay off staff. There's less and less reporting going on simply because these news companies, you know, Post Media has, you know, these papers like the Journal and the Herald that actually just have physically have less reporters. So they're, in, they're not able to do the type of in-depth analysis and in-depth news reporting that they would have been able to do 10, 20, 30 years ago. Um, so, yeah, I mean, take take everything with a grain of salt. I think that's how you, you know, media maybe that's the first point in media literacy uh when you when you when you see a story online you know you think well is this true what's consider the source who are they talking to oh well you know the edmonton this edmonton journal reporter only interviewed someone from the fraser institute oh well what's the fraser institute oh they're a conservative think tank okay well this might be this is probably their political angle um you know so so look try to try to be critical and and uh i mean absolutely not try to be critical but absolutely be critical and, and uh and don't assume just because it shows up on your Facebook feed that it's true. Dave, thank you so much for this conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thank you very much for uh, for having me on. This has been uh, a really fun conversation. 
Thanks for listening to Don't Call Me a Guru. You said it right. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Don't Call Me a Guru. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, wherever podcasts are podcasted. Please leave us comments and tell your friends. Everything helps. Uh, help us get the word out about this show. Thanks for listening. Thank you. <laughs> You're the best. Best I ever had. See you next month.